We're grateful for today. We're grateful for the fellowship we have with one another. We're grateful for this chance to enjoy it in your word and with food. Make us better Christians, Lord. In your son's name, amen. There's in a conversation a, a few nights ago, maybe a week, two weeks ago, where a person was very concerned about death. Conversation ensued. Um, and that conversation was hmm, beneficial, but it, a certain verse sprang up out of, out of Psalm 90. Um, and so I was looking at Psalm 90 again for the last week or so. I've been in Psalm 90, you know, three years ago. So if you remember, hey, you're not repeating any passages of Scripture. Yes, I'm repeating. But I'm saying something else about it. So much is... We're looking for ways or, or points of enjoyment. We've been talking about love and attentiveness a few Sundays ago and, and how much, what is the trigger of your joy in Jesus Christ? What, is, what are you getting? Someone tells you, you better read your Bible. And you read your Bible and you go, okay, I did it. Am I a better Christian yet? You, know, you don't like it, you don't understand it. Wouldn't it be nice if you actually enjoyed your Christian life? in such a way that you'd, just like you, if you had a girlfriend, you'd actually want to call her up and spend some time because you'll like her, you know, or you enjoy watching a certain football team. Um, you tune in and find out what time the channel, what channel it's on and what the game is going to be, and maybe even tailgate a little bit. That's what we're doing after church today is tail, church tailgating. Um, we, we don't have it quite figured out, do you tailgate before? but you wouldn't come. So I've been thinking about these points of enjoyment. We were having a good discussion last night. I think Mike Jones and I were talking to some degree, and Khan as well, um, about language, uh, um, say, is he saying anything yet this morning? Because he's just rambling on about different conversations he's been in. Then he says language and stops. Well, I'm trying to figure out the language. Language is a, well, what we're doing this af afternoon in the Lord's Supper is a language. We are saying something. And what you say, just like your wife's name, is valuable to you, not because it is your wife, but it refers to her. Our God's name is valuable because it refers to him, not because the name is God, and not because the circumstance of the Lord's Supper is anything except the language by which you point at the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I was thinking that, coming out of last night's conversation, I was doing sermon prep this morning, and I was looking at Psalm 90, and I was going, this is just wonderful. I don't know if you've found those moments or you've gotten to that place where you, 
I don't hear favorite poets. Well, you read favorite poets. For me, that's probably Kipling. You go back and read them more and more. You could, because it's just, not because it is the meaning of the poem, the poem itself. You, you know that these words, the way this is coming off the page at you, is the language of the things of God. And that's going to come up a little later in what we say out of Psalm 90. But initially, over on the left-hand side, I have a 2 Peter 3 passage with which you are familiar, I do not doubt. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is forbearing toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and the works that are upon it will be burned up. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of persons ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hasting the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be kindled and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire? But according to his promise, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, the reason that passage was read first is because Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, for or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. Thou turnest man back to dust, and sayest, Turn back, O children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. That's why. The imagery for 2 Peter 3 comes out of Psalm 90. That a thousand years for God. Now most of us only run across that verse for God of your days of a thousand years and a thousand years of a day, in some uh, argument with a dispensationalist about end times, and they want to, uh, they, got, they got a real need to be doing telescoping things with their timeline to make it work. And so, well, a thousand years is uh, like a day for... Well, there's other reasons. You can use it in those arguments if you want, but for other reasons, it's here. When he tells you in 2 Peter, do not ignore this one fact, what kind of lives ought you to be? That she goes, oh, 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 you're actually, actually talking about the choices I make, the life I live out, how I feel about things. What's important to me? This is how God is, and this is how man is, and this is how the two things compare. He is everlasting to everlasting. That's not double everlasting. It's everlasting backward, everlasting forward. He is God. And he looks at man, and man is brief. Thou dost sweep men away. They are like a dream, 
like grass which is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Probably recognize those references. James 4, here on the left-hand side. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and get gain, whereas you do not know about tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and we shall do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Whoever knows what is right to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. There is a, <clears throat> a suggestion about how your valuation and ratio to the living God is held before your eyes in such a way that you will respond correctly to it. That you understand you're but a dream. You're but a vapor. You know, I know Disney taught you that you all had specialities in your dreams and you should follow your lists, and you're just kind of really wonderful. But Disney is wrong. I, I didn't mean, to, I know he got married in Lewiston. You didn't know that, did you? Mr. and Mrs. Disney got married. She's from Lapway. It doesn't matter. They're saying the wrong thing. You're not. You're brief. You're a hiccup. Some of us more burps than hiccups. That's a real hard thing. I mean, one of the reasons this death question came up to our library um, a few weeks ago was somebody was struggling with it. They had noted an old person and all the pain and suffering and the imminent death there and knew that they were on the same train, maybe a few cars back, but the front cars of that train slamming into a brick wall of death Nobody was going to get off this train. They were going there too. And this was concerning them. And the problem is, well, it should, but you, you answer it with certain other correct, more correct valuations of who you are. When we compare ourselves to the transcendent God, when we realize and we're thinking of myself as more than a mist, like your plans mattered. If you say, God willing, I will do thus and such. Someone else permitting, <clears throat> you're playing out at the playground. One of the rougher kids, who already has probably smoked a cigarette, comes to you and says, hey, let's go down to the uh, railroad trestle. Maybe it'll be a dead body. And you say, because you're a good church kid, I don't know, I'll have to go ask my mom. Because you're a mom. And what happens to you then? Your mom becomes uh, abused by this cool friend. Oh, you're a mother's boy. We don't like having to ask about whether we can do something. If the Lord wills, you can make all the plans you want. But if mom won't let you, you're not going to. Because the rich fool, what did he learn? I'm going to build some bigger barns. And no, you're not. You're going to be dead tonight. 
There's something about this, this recurring theme, that God's everlastingness and your not so much. Your brief finitude, the little effort that you put into it and, and you thought that when you started your business running that scotch tape boutique that you were going to just change the world. And you think because you're doing something really cool right now of a digital variety and you think this will never change and you'll be forgotten and laughed at in 20 years. But we have those views and we should not. We should be placing ourselves in the right place. You're a mist. You boast in your arrogance. Then he tells you, in case you were wondering, all such boasting is evil. Do you really know who you are in relationship to the living God? Moses did, for we are consumed by thy anger. By thy wrath we are overwhelmed. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. It's not like, oh my gosh, I feel so guilty because I am suddenly aware of my sins. You, know, you felt that, you know, right? When, when it comes home to you subjectively that you did something bad. That's not your problem. You... You thinking less of yourself is not your problem. You're dealing with God thinking less of you, right? Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. Your problem with guilt is that someone much bigger, much more eternal from everlasting to everlasting has got a hold of your crimes. And his, your crimes were committed in his world, which he made, and he wanted run a certain way. And guess what? You didn't. You did what you thought was best. You didn't go home and ask mom. For all our days, verse 9. Oh, I was going to read this Isaiah 40 passage because... They had that, like a dream, like grass, which is renewed in the morning. Isaiah 40, a voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I want you to pick up on a few things as we're going through this, you know, sort of moment of crisis about your finitude, that God is greater than you. You as an agent are X, and he is umpty ump infinite X. But not only that, but the word of God. This is why I mentioned earlier what Mike and uh, I guess it was John was talking about last night about the nature of language. It's referential, but it carries and only referential, but it carries with it the, the honors and the mattering of the thing it is, the language of. The word of our God will stand forever because in many ways that's what you're dealing with when you're talking about the everlasting to everlasting God. The God is one thing. The word of that God is another because it is the language of that God. 
that's one of the things I should be going, okay, what's most valuable? Have you, have you been concerned about your investments lately? Talk to John or Drew about investments. Bitcoin, any of you got the Doge? John, you still have Doge? No, yeah. Well, well, some of you old school, you know, we're buying precious metals. Going to carry gold in my vault. You wish you had something that you could invest yourself in. This notion, this notion when you invest yourself in the correct valuation, because everything you take in as a signal from the outside world, you evaluate. That is your world. That is everything that you think. Everything you've seen, every opinion you have is a sum total of your valuations of the world. Now, here is the Psalm 90, a song of prayer of Moses, valuing it, saying, okay, just generally speaking, we're really, really short. And generally speaking, he's really, really long. And his word, he himself and his word live forever. They stand forever. For all our days, verse 9, pass away under thy wrath. Our years come to an end. And I love this phrase. Like a sigh. You know, sigh. I, I'm not a big sire, but uh, I grunt trying to get out of a chair. But some people just. That, that, that sort of patience pushed to the limit, and all you could do was sigh. The end, it's punctuation. It's punctuation to, and, and conclusory to this idea. Our years come to an end like a sigh. And that's all, it, 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 like vapor, like mists, like dreams. And then the famous verse, this is the reason I had been thinking of this passage, verse 10. The years of our life are threescore and ten. Because we were arguing about lifespan in the library, and somebody mentioned this verse, and we looked it up. Nor even by reason of strength, fourscore. And some people think this is the Bible answer to how long you should live, right? That, that God has assigned 70 years. A score is 20, so three score, 60, and 10 is 70 years. Four score, you're 80. So they were living kind of like, just like well, we're living today with, without the benefits of penicillin. But yet they thought 70, 80 years was normal. But he's not feeling that. He's not assigning you... Um, the, the hope, the cash-in contract you and the heavenlies have about how long you're going to last. He just says, you know, hey, we're nothing. We're vapor. We're a dream. We're dust. We're going back to it. He is forever. You're 70 years. Now, midway, most of you people are much younger than I am. I want you to know when you get to this age, you go, it went by like lightning. Suddenly I have adult children, and they have children. And in a few years, they will have adult children. That's disturbing. I am older. I'm old enough to be my daughter-in-law's grandfather. Abby's parents are young enough to be my children. That's not right. 
you know, the phrase kill me now would be perhaps too, too apt. We're not, we, we don't measure this correctly. We have, and every once in a while you feel it. You hit 30, some of you are around 30. You hit there, you go, uh-oh. You mean this is going on? You mean this train is still moving? You mean I'm not immortal? But you, can, you, 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 put, you tamp that down, you go to Costa Rica a few times and pretend that, you know, you really are still attractive. You're not. And then 40 sneaks up on you. And some youth stomp you on the way to church and say, go up, old bald head. And you don't have the power to call out bears to kill them. It's not fair. But it's going to happen. The sigh. And when it says three score and ten, or if by strength, four score... It's not running around clapping your pudgy little fingers together about the great length. This is a marker on how brief, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Is there any, I want you to get a point out of this psalm. Something that you can process when you talk about with your wife and kids. Don't darken your kids' lives by too much discussion. Have kids? Have you thought about death? A lot, I mean. We know that our God is forever, everlasting. The word of the Lord, the word of God is forever. You are not. You are ending like a sigh. In a brief 80 years, if you're lucky. I'm 66, and you can see it from here. The, the, the station you're going to pull into, the lights are on, and you can see it down the track. I mean, it's a, that sort of thing. Who considers the power of thy anger? And thy wrath according to the fear of thee. Now, l- l- parse the sentence. Who thinks about this? Who considers? Who thinks about what God is into in this exchange of this ratio of him to you? Do you know the world that is so full for you that, that your hobbies and your profession and your advancement and the money you made and, and the beauty of your kids' weddings and your grandchildren going to Harvard, whatever it is, God, because he is greater in this way, we have to consider it. We have to consider what he thinks in terms of, what did he say? Setting his, our iniquities before him. And thy wrath according to the fear of thee. Then this great verse, verse 12. So teach us to number our days. Teach us the number of our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Because if you number your days, <laughs> little kid comes up to you, how old are you, little Johnny? I'm this many. Ian and I had a long-term fight because he can make three the normal way. 
How do you do it? My hand's too fat. Thank you. I see that hand. So I always had to do three like this because my hand was too fat to reach my pinky with my thumb. So we had theological debates over which was the correct three. But kids always tell you their age with some sort of conceit going on. Right? I'm five. And the kid that's five and a half, boy, they let you know fast. Yeah, but I'm five and a half. I'm almost 16. You better consider better. What's the problem? Is that that they didn't consider? They just sort of jumped to conclusions. They took their arrogance and the how old they were and put them together and said arrogantly, I'm five. Consider the power of God's anger when he, the everlasting to everlasting, looks at the brief ephemera called you and wants you, the ephemera, to number your days and get a heart of wisdom out of it. No. So much of this, what we have in our Christ, is we don't, none of us, we're all Christians. We know that God is greater than we are. That's not a problem. But a lot of times we have an, a difficulty getting to the point where we repent of our sins in a way that is, a, you, know, you might say, commensurate with the relationship. The everlasting God and the you, you're the one that should be on your knees crying out for his mercy. He's not trying to find you and, and win you like a lover. You're trying to get him to not destroy you. You get a heart of wisdom when you think about how old you are compared. It's versus God, how long you've existed, you versus God. It's you versus the word of God. Now, the uh, passage we read out of Isaiah 40, St. Peter quotes in Peter, first, first Peter, uh, that's there on the left-hand side. All flesh is like grass and its glory, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And then he helps us out here, because just like Isaiah helped us out and said, okay, it's not just God, it's the word of God. Because the language of the thing, the communion of soul uh, agents between the God and you, you listen to what he says. You, you measure what he says with a reference to his eternality and your finitude. Peter adds something to that. He adds to the end of the quote, that word is the good news which was preached to you. So it's, there's a big, we call this the word of God, it's the Bible got a lot of the revelation of God. Some prophets, you go, well, what's, what do I have to do with Moab these days? We, we wonder, it's all, but it's all the word of God. Our God, the everlasting, the judge of sin, we, the objects having done those sins, 
who need to grow up about who we really are and what we stand like before him, need to be looking not just to him and to his word, but that word, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word is the good news that was preached to you. Suddenly, we're talking about regarding the uh, Lord's Supper today. Uh, the question on the table was, uh, why does he say in John 6 about eat my flesh and drink my blood if you do not eat these things you have no part of me pretty icky it's cannibalism you think so I think so the people who heard him thought so his disciples thought so everyone thought so you're recommending cannibalism But the words of Christ or the images of Christ of his death, his body being broken. We talk about that later in the Lord's Supper. This is my body broken for you. This cup of wine is the new covenant in his blood. It's referential like all language is referential. Oh, it's Roy. <laughs> well, it's a Sunday ringtone, yeah, but I don't know what God thought of that. The idea of of the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that when we gather together as a body and exchange those linguistic placeholders for our thought of Jesus, our thought of Jesus in his death, our thought of Jesus in his gift, our thought of Jesus in his condescension, we are saying the great thing. It is massively important. The gospel says the greatest thing, because the infinite, everlasting to everlasting God became flesh in this gospel, became limited, who, though he took the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, emptied himself. When I start to look at the gospel and the language that surrounds it, I begin to realize it, it reaches across this ratio divide of who I am and how big and long I am and how big and long God is. I need to get a heart of wisdom, right, to teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Verse 13. Return, O Lord. How long have pity on thy servants Satisfy us in the morning with thy steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as thou hast afflicted us and as many years as we have seen evil. Which is a great image, you know. They're asking God for all that you've seen in this life that you haven't enjoyed. Just say, Lord, give me as many days of the good as I saw of the bad. Nice image. 
Let thy work be manifest to thy servants and thy glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Now, when you learn something, when you number your days and you realize where you stand, how you stand before the God, and how great he is, and that how great the condescension in the gospel was, and how great his word is, where you're reading the biblical phrases that you've come to sort of memorize because you've been around them, but sometimes you're going to be looking, one time you're going to be looking at the word of God somewhere, Zephaniah or something, and you go, this is so good. This is so much the air I breathe. We will understand our place. We'll understand the wonder and the greatness of a gospel of our God, how much it meant to us. And once you get to the place of, you know when a guy says he loves somebody, some girl, but he doesn't treat her like that? No, he doesn't. Just saying it to the words. A lot of people say they love Jesus. What's got to happen? Unless I get to the place where I've counted my days and I've been given a heart of wisdom about this, where I know that when my knees bent before the living God, I was bending before the eternal. And I am not eternal. I'm asking for his blessing in my life here at the end of this psalm in his establishment of the work of my hands that it come to benefit me upon us. Establish thou the work of our hands upon us. I want these blessings. I want this understanding. I want this righteousness. I want this wisdom. (coughs) Because when I have it, I know that that which abides forever is God, his word, and his gospel. And when that's the case, I I, I trimmed off. On the first passage up at the top of the left side is 2 Peter 3, 8. Well, I trimmed off verse 14 because he asked the question in verse um, 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of persons ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? He doesn't answer that in the next couple verses. He answers it in the 14th verse. What, once we know that this slowness, this difference in time, this greatness of our God, the judgment of man, the nature of the gospel, I'm getting a clue about all these things in my life, What sort of life ought you to live? Therefore, beloved, since you wait for these, be zealous to be found by him without spot or blemish. Remember back in the psalm, thou hast set our iniquities before thee. Do you make sure that your walk before God is confessed, that you've sinned, you've confessed your sins? Because if you confess, he is faithful and just, will forgive you your sins. Grace, sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You just better be asking for it. Are you zealous to be found by him without spot or blemish? I mean, that's your job. Once you get this wisdom, once you go, I know where I am, I know how big I am. I keep mentioning this in church because he is a prophet, one of your own, Douglas Adams. 
um, the vortex of infinite perspective, where it teaches you your actual size in the face of the universe, which, of course, most of you would be driven mad by the acknowledgement that you are nothing. That's what we are before God. And in that nothing, in that numbering of our days, the wisdom we are given, we are given a God who has spoken to us of his good, of his gift to you, of his absolute grace to you. We don't walk the aisle in this church. We don't have a prayer rail down here. Um, you ever stop and say to yourself, I wish we did, because I would walk the aisle. I remember fighting that off as a kid, hanging on to the, didn't want to go. Knew they were manipulating me with those songs. I never did. So I am saved, but I never, never walked the aisle. You ever stop and say, yeah, I'd fall to my knees for this. I would say, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And God would have to cleanse me. Be found by him without spot or blemish. What do you, do you just not have, when people are living their own lives, their own way, following what they think, you know, with their smarts, what's a good idea for them to do? And you go, are you out of your mind? Are you in high school? What are you? You don't know what's going on here, do you? You don't know there is a God who holds your iniquities, even the secret ones, in the light of his countenance. And you're going to be dead soon. You really don't have a choice. You should be falling on your knees because you want to be found by him without spot or blemish. And you want to be found by him at peace. So those three things, without spot, without blemish, those are kind of the same. Deal with your sins. Two, at peace. That means you deal with your understanding of your universe. You don't know. You, you know I believe that all peace comes from order. And all order comes from governance. If you haven't governed your life to a state of order, you don't have peace. If you haven't governed your life to a state of order with God, you don't have the peace of God. But that's how you're supposed to be found, ordered, at peace, righteous, forgiven, or doing good. In verse 15 says, and count the forbearance of our Lord as salvation. That means he's been patient. He's not only from everlasting to everlasting, and you're not just a squirrely little bit of arrogance running around on the face of the earth being something, but he's been waiting for you to figure it out where you will number your days and you'll get the heart of wisdom. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful that you are forever. We have not been and our lives here on this earth are short. We trust that you taking us to be with yourself we have eternity ahead of us, but Lord, help us learn what we need to learn for having been so finite. 
You are our God. Help us love you and your word, and especially the word of your son, Jesus Christ, in the gospel he has given. We ask for your favor to be upon us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.